here on campus. Have a great week, everyone. Well, good morning, family. I uh, and uh, happy Memorial Day. I uh, I'm so grateful. I had nothing to do with it, but I was born in the USA and uh, lived my whole life here. And I've traveled. I got I've got to do some traveling, and uh, but there's no place like home. And uh, America is an amazing place. And birthed out of, from, from some of its earliest places, birthed out of a desire for freedom and freedom of worship. And, uh, and so we worship freely here. And, uh, and America is changing. There's things that are happening, um, both for good and bad. And uh, I am concerned but I love this country, and I am incredibly grateful. I am so grateful for those people I don't even know, people you don't know, who lay down their life so that we could have this freedom. We don't know their families. We don't know the sacrifices that they've made. We just, on this day, take a day, and a lot of times it's about barbecuing and having a gathering and having a day off, you know, but it's more than that, and we should be grateful mostly to God for, for the fact that we have what we have and for those who laid down their life for us, and I am grateful for that. And uh, I think the, the people who represent them the most are the people who have served in the armed forces and uh, even, you know, and were willing at some point to lay down their life, but they're here with us gratefully, thankfully. And uh, if you served in the armed forces, would you please stand up? Could we see who you are? We want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you for your service. Um, Today, uh, we are looking at um, some things that are coming down the road as we look forward. There's an, uh, there's an interesting uh, scripture. The Bible um, talks about David. In, uh, uh, there was an army that was gathering. And there was a group of people. It says in 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's an interesting statement about a group of men who had, they, they, they had an understanding of the times. They knew what was, go, what was going on. They could see around them the, the, you know, what was taking place where others were missing it. They could understand what was happening in their day. And I think that is incredibly valuable because it says they understood the time so that they could know, they, they knew what Israel ought to do. But the understanding was for the purpose of, of decisions that would be made and life changes that would have to be made. And we need to be those people. We need to be people who understand the times so that we can know what the people ought to do. What we, can, we can be the people who say, you know what? We need to do this. We need to be those people in our family. We need to be those people in our community. We need to be those people who are speaking into our, our nation as well. That we know what to do. And as a church, we should be those people. And one of the reasons I have been, I, last week and Wednesday night, and, uh, and today, I'm talking about some of the, the, what's going on in the end times. I'm calling, just calling it signs and, and times today. But um, have you noticed that so many Bible teachers are, are saying and believing that Jesus is coming back very soon? Have you noticed there's been an uptick of teaching and, and, um, and different Bible teachers who are saying 
Jesus is coming back soon. Now, I know that we've been saying that for a while, and rightfully so, um, considering the time frame, considering 2,000 years of church history, how, how um, now, more than an, in the last 50, 60 years, there has been an, an uptick, but now it seems like it's even going at a higher rate that people are saying, Bible teachers are saying, we're in the last of the last days, we're getting really close. And why is that that that's happening? Because I believe because Bible teachers, people who, who know the scriptures, at least, I would say this, people who really are informed and understand the scriptures, understand the prophetic uh, voice that God has given to us in the word of God, they know that the things that the Bible says is happening, will happen, are starting to happen. And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of give you some of those today and uh, give you kind of a, an, an update so you can be one of those people like the sons of Issachar who understand the times. And, uh, and where I want to take you is Matthew chapter 24. That's where we'll start. And uh, Matthew 24 gives us um, this... this there, there's three places in the Gospels that give us what Jesus said at this particular time on, uh, on the Mount of Olives as he's talking about the last times, as he's overseeing, the, looking over the temple and saying it's going to be destroyed, telling them about uh, events that are happening in the future, and, and he moves on to tell them according to their question, you know, when are these things going to happen? What is the time? When is, the, when is the, the, the time of your coming? And so it's under, it's in that circumstance that Jesus is responding, telling them when the end will be. And, uh, and, and he tells them that the end is going to be a long time from then. There's going to be a, there's going to be a, a long gap between. And there's a season he calls the, the time of the Gentiles. And, uh, and he quotes from Daniel and in, uh, t- takes us back to uh, something that God had said to Daniel that would happen a long ways away. And then the end would come and the resurrection would take place and, and Daniel himself would receive the inheritance along with all the other believers. So Matthew 24 and verse 3 is where I'm going to pick it up. It says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now when when is all that going to happen? And Jesus said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. This phrase, take heed that no one deceives you, is repeated over and over again by Jesus. There, There seems to be a great concern on the heart of God, on the heart of Jesus, that people would be deceived in the last days. That there would be great deception. And, um, and there is. There's going to be, there has been de- deception throughout the age. There, there have been many, as he says, false pro- prophets and false Christs that have come along teaching and people have been sucked in by these false teachers. They, they have not stuck to the word of God so they were easily taken aside and easily, uh, you know, confused and deceived. But Jesus, Jesus speaks very strongly about this over and over again because he says in the last days there's going to be even the greatest deception of all. And that people who normally would kind of be, um, be able to think straight aren't going to. They're going to, be, they're going to be taken in by the deception. The deception is going to be so strong that they will be taken in. If you're not a person who is who is, uh, you know, steeped in the word of God, you're in danger in the last days. There is going to be plenty of things that come along that just take and distract you and more than distract you, cause you to doubt and, and go into unbelief if you are not steeped in the words of Christ, in the words of the Bible. So he says, Take heed, no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and I w- and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have you heard of that? Wars and rumors of wars in your lifetime? Absolutely. 
See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Everybody say the end is not yet. The end is not yet. That these things would happen, we would have wars and rumors of wars and deception, but the end is not yet. Now he's saying that this is going to happen throughout the ages until his coming. So he says, um, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence. Have we had any idea of some of those happening? Um, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, the old King James and some other translations actually use the word birth pains because actually the Greek word can be actually birth pains. And what that means is it's, he gives us um, the idea of that as you get closer, there's more intensity and frequency until that final day and final judgment that happens on the earth. And so he says, this is the beginning. So all these things are just the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Now, has that happened? Absolutely, it has. Christians have suffered persecution throughout the ages as well. And uh, we have been so blessed here in the United States. So many of our brothers and sisters wake up every morning knowing that as they, just for their faith, they can end up in prison, they can end up being killed just because they believe. And the amazing thing is it doesn't stop them. You know, there are so many who have suffered in the name of Jesus, but they found the power of God in their life in those times that they never thought, that they ne never knew was possible. And I think that's, the, that, that's where Christians shine the best is when we're persecuted the most. And um, it's not that I look forward to it. And, you know, early church believers, when persecution happened, they took off. They ran away. But when you can't, and you, there's no place to go, they found God's sustaining strength. And uh, as they, they walked through that, and they found the power of God in, in great, uh, you know, supply. So, he says, and then many will be offended, will, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound... I want you to see this connection between lawlessness and the love of, of pe lo people's love. It says, because, a because, everybody say because. Because lawlessness abounds. See, when, when uh, a state, a nation, a community um, allows for lawlessness, what happens is something happens in the soul of the individual's. When you, when you live in lawlessness and you take advantage of, of the freedom to be lawless yourself, something happens inside of you. Because, you know, if you steal from someone, something in you has to go, it doesn't matter that I'm stealing from them, they don't need it or they don't deserve it. All of a sudden, when you start to do things that are harmful to others, you have to diminish that other person in order to justify your action. Lawlessness does that. And a hardness starts to begin to happen in people's heart. And when a community, when a nation goes into lawlessness, and they can go in and steal stuff, and, and then their heart becomes less loving, less caring. And so because, it says, lawlessness abounds, the love of many waxes cold, grows cold. But he who endures to the end, he says, shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all nations then. Everybody say then. Then the end will come. Now at some point, all the nations will have heard. And the word here is ethnos. It's not nations like we think. It's ethnic groups. So you might have hundreds of ethnos in a nation. And every one of them, and some of the, some of the third world countries where um, whole groups of people have never been touched with the gospel yet. But before Jesus comes back, 
everyone will have been touched with the gospel. Every ethnos will be, have been touched. Now, by the way, um, that, can, that, that will, can go all the way through the tribulation period. In fact, actually, I believe it will. I believe during the tribulation there's going to be the greatest communication of the gospel that, in history. I believe the gospel is going to go out at a rate because there's a boldness that I read about in the book of Revelation about the Christians that seems like it's defiantly bold. That Christians get some backbone. And they go out and they're going, I don't care what you do. I don't care if I die for this. Hey, you know what? I'll only be in the grave for a few, few weeks or a few months. Jesus is coming back. And they, they're going for it. They're out there pre- proclaiming the message of the gospel. And I believe that's when the end that we will have be a witness to all nations. Therefore, when you see, and this is where he starts to give us some sequence of events. We did this last week. By the way, if you uh, weren't able to, um, to listen to, to last week's message and Wednesday night message, when we're done, I encourage you, especially if you, those of you online, I encourage you when we're done, go Go, go do that because it'll catch you up into the sequence of things that are happening in the end times. It'll be helpful for you. But here he says, therefore, when you see. Now, when he says that, when you see, it, it must be that he's intending that believers will see something. Because he's talking to believers. So he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. Now, what he does is he ties us into something Daniel had, had a vision about, and Daniel spoke and was told that there is going to be, at the end times, a world leader that will, in fact, declare himself to be God, and he will be exposed as what we call the Antichrist, when he goes into the temple of, in Israel and he, and he goes into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and declares himself to be God. Now, Jesus makes a statement about that. When you see that, when you see that. So, and, the, and he, then he says, whoever reads, let him understand. Okay, this is something you should understand. Why do you need to understand? Well, some people think they, they don't need to understand because they're going to be in heaven at that point. And you might. Maybe you will be in heaven then. Um, maybe, you know, you, you won't, uh, we won't live until we see that day. But those people who are alive are going to expect to see it. They're going to see the abomination of desolation. The, it, it is an event that is coming on the horizon. And... Um, and, and the, the Bible says, actually, if you, let me take you to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, just kind of in here. It says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. That's the, re, that's the resurrection. It's the resurrection, the assumption. It's what's called the rapture. It's all in one. The resurrection happens, he says, so... The, the concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together. That's, that would be those who are alive to him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by the word or by letter or as if, uh, if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Now, remember when, when Paul was in Thessalonians, Thessalonica. He was only there for three weeks. He started the church for three weeks. So he was able to give them some things. It's amazing that that church grew like it did. But he had to kind of help them because their theology was a little off. And they had thought that they actually missed the resurrection. And so he tells them, don't, get, don't, don't worry about it. In fact, even in 2 Thessalonians as well, he tells them, don't worry about it. Nobody's missed. The, the, the dead are still going to rise. They, nobody's missed it. Um, don't let anybody deceive you by any means for that day. Everybody say that day. 
Okay, I'm helping you with some memory things here right now. That day. That day is the day of the Lord. That day is the day of wrath. That day is the day of judgment that the Bible talks about. It's the day of Christ. That day will not come unless a falling away first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Now, when is he revealed? He's revealed when he goes into the temple. Now, we've had many world leaders um, that that appeared like they were the Antichrist. I mean, there were all kinds of people saying Hitler's the Antichrist or Mussolini's the Antichrist. And the list can go on and on and on. But none of them went into the temple and declared themselves to be God. None of them went, took the step that identified them as, in fact, the Antichrist. This, This person will... And he says, but there's a falling away that comes first and then. And so, the man of sin is revealed. So, somewhere along the line, remember Jesus said there's going to be great deception. In the last days, there's going to be greater deception. And I, as many of you know, I believe that there is a, um, there is a in fact, a Muslim antichrist who's going to rise on the scene. I believe that, in fact, all the anticipation of 1.2 to 1.5 billion people right now who already look forward to their Mahdi, their leader, to come on the scene, their, their Christ, if you would, to come on the scene, and he will have his prophet with him who is named Jesus, by the way. It, the, the, they, Isa, Asa, which is the, the, who they refer to as Jesus. That Jesus is coming back. They believe Jesus is coming back. And he's going to tell the world, the Christian world, they had it all wrong. That he never really died for them. This is, this is what 1.2 billion people believe right now. That he never really died for them. And that, that in fact, the leader that is there, the, the Mahdi leader, 12th Imam, that guy, he's the true leader. He's the true, one, the true prophet from God. Exactly what the Bible says will happen, but the Bible says it's a false prophet and it's the Antichrist. That's who 1.2 billion people are already looking to happening. And they believe that it's supposed to happen because Allah has made it and has declared it to them, that truth. Do you understand? This is not a huge transformation that's going to have to take place. Immediately, over a billion people on the planet are going to be going, that's the man of God. That's the prophet of God. And then others will walk into that deception. How simple is it? They, they're saying, no, Jesus has come, and Jesus is telling us he didn't die for our sins, that the Christians really had it wrong. The fact is, and, and miracles start to take place. And all these weak Christians, I don't know how many there are, but I think there's a lot of them. I think there are a lot of Christians that don't know the scriptures. And they're they're easily persuaded by leaders, by people who who seem like they know what they're talking about. That's all you have to do is kind of seem like you know what you're talking about. You don't have to go to the scriptures. You can just declare it. In fact, I hear Bible teachers so often... So many Bible teachers, they never actually go to the scriptures to declare what they're saying. And there are things being said that just aren't in the Bible at all. At all. Now, um, so what, what, what happens when that happens? I, the, the, the scripture says, uh, he goes in, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And this is when the Antichrist is identified. Now, some things have to happen for that to take place, don't you think? Because we, have, we don't have a temple, in, do we? There's no temple right now in Israel. He goes on to say, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that in just give, give me a second. 
Verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back or get clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. In other words, you're going to have to skadoodle fast. You're going to have to get out of there quickly when you see those armies coming. You're not going to, you'll be destroyed. And then he says, verse 21, for then, everybody say then. Thank you. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Great tribulation. When is this great tribulation? Well, it's after the Antichrist is revealed, goes into the temple. See it right there. Then there's great tribulation. When does the Antichrist go into the temple? He goes into the temple halfway through the seven-year period of what people say is the tribulation or the great tribulation. Actually, there's no place in the Bible that says the tribulation is seven years. The reason we assume it, and I think it's, it's still fair to say, is because there's a time called Daniel's 70th week. And that time, Daniel says, in the middle of the week, it's a week of years, not the, a week of days. It's seven-year period. He says that's when the Antichrist is going to stand up in the temple and show himself to be as God. It's, there's an interesting, um, because we're not, because, you know, most of us don't know um, Jewish tradition, custom, or even the Old Testament very well, we don't recognize that God operates, you know how we use the word decade? When we say a decade, how many years is that? Ten, right? So we use that, that in a, you know, this decade, that, so we have the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, that's how we think. In Jewish life, it wasn't 10 years, it was seven years. They had seven-year rotations, and every seven years was called um, a, a Shemitah year at the end. It was a seven-year period. At the end of the seven years, there was, there was oftentimes judgment that would happen at the end if they had, you know, gone away from God. But on the seventh year was a year of rest. And they were to rest the land. And it was very serious. God had told them to do this on the seventh year. They're to rest the land, and let the and uh, and on the sixth year they're to gather, you know, uh, food enough for that seventh year, and they're supposed to let the land rest. And then there would be fruitfulness and blessing, and God would bless them in doing this. And and if you had debt, you were to let let, let the person that you know was indebted to you free from that their debt. All of that was supposed to happen. It was a a process that God wanted to bless the people. It was a process that helped the poor because they could gather in the fields that, that would grow even when they weren't being tilled and so forth. It was a, an amazing thing. But because the children of Israel didn't do that, God added it up. And when they got to 70 Smita years added up that they didn't do it, God sent them off into a foreign country and for 70 years, the land was at rest. The 70 years they would have done it, God, God sent them out. They went to, into Babylon, into captivity. For the same 70 years, they, they had missed. So through that 490 years, every smita year that they didn't do it, it happened. Now listen, God operated in that system. And then when God told Daniel... He said to them, there's going to be 70 Shemitah years or 70 sevens, seven-year periods that are going to be on the, the people of Israel. And, and from the time that the command goes forth to reestablish and rebuild Israel, rebuild Jerusalem, until the 69th Shemitah, 69 seven-year periods, that's when the Messiah will be there and he'll be cut off. 
And so when Daniel prophesied that and the Artaxerxes made the command, we know that Messiah Jesus was cut off. He died for the sins of the people as Daniel said it would happen exactly on 60, the 69th Shemitah year. Well, there's one more because he said there's 70. Well, that one more is waiting until the end. And the reason for that is because there has been a postponement. And we see that in the scripture, that there's been a postponement of that seven-year period until the end. And that's what we're waiting for. And all these things are going to happen in that Shemitah seven-year period in the last days. And we're just watching as things start to be navigated along those lines. Um, look at verse 22. It says, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So he's kind of warning us again. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out there. Or look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, you're going to see this. It's not going to be any, it's not going to be secret. You're going to see this coming. For wherever the, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. We talked about that, that the, the battle comes in the valley of Megiddo, and Jesus destroys them, and, the, and he calls for the birds of the, uh, of the air to come and feast. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, everybody say immediately. Immediately. Are you with me here? After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Last week, we talked about this cosmic event that the Bible keeps putting in there. Seven times, the Bible talks about this cosmic event. And Jesus, three times, when he was referring to the last days, he talked about this cosmic event that would happen immediately after the tribulation and right before his coming. Right as his coming, this cosmic event. He said, then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. There's a whole teaching on the sign of the Son of Man. It, it's not Jesus, just Jesus coming. It's Jesus coming in the clouds, which is an Old Testament Hebrew, Hebrew understanding. Remember that there was a cloud and wherever that, that covered the, the tabernacle, wherever it went, and when Moses went into the tabernacle, this glory cloud would come down over the tabernacle. That glory cloud was, is the sign of, of God's presence, that glory cloud, the sign of the, the coming of the Son of, of Man. The Jews are not looking for Jesus if they're not uh, you know, if they're not Messianic believers, the Jews are looking for someday the Lord actually is to return in the resurrection, in the glory cloud. Well, Jesus is coming in the glory cloud. When it talks about Jesus, it, it, it gives reference to in the clouds, but then at one reference it says in the cloud. Jesus is coming in the glory cloud, which is a sign to all the Jews that God is coming. And, and look at what the scripture says. I'll, I'll explain this. Um, it says, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. All the tribes. I mean, you know, every nation is going to be mourning because Jesus is coming. Some of them will be going, calling and crying out to the rocks to fall on them. Because they know judgment is coming. But the Jews are going to be crying, according to Zechariah 12, because they recognize that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. It says they will look upon him whom they had pierced, and they will mourn. So there, there's a mourning going on as Israel is, Jews are coming to the recognition that their Messiah 
had already come. He is Jesus, and he's the one coming now in the glory cloud that is coming from heaven. And so, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather the elect, his elect, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. In Mark's gospel, it says, from one end, from the farthest part of earth to the farthest part of heaven. So this is the gathering unto the Lord. Learn what the parable of fig tree, when its branches has, have already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Now get this. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass till all these things are, take place. Now he says, learn the parable, learn, learn, you need to learn the parable of the fig tree. Now the fig tree represents Israel. Remember when Jesus passed the fig tree and he cursed it because there were no fruit. And it said he cursed the tree even though it wasn't the season of fruit. But there was no fruit on that tree. And he had waited. And, and, uh, and one, one parable says, you know, Lord, wait and see. You know, before you, you, you curse the tree, wait and see if, um, if it'll bear fruit. Well, Jesus did. And so when he rode down on, on Palm Sunday and said, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a hen, uh, gathered a chicken, but you would not. They're, they had not borne fruit because they had not accepted him and, as, save, as, as he was as Savior. In fact, I believe the 70th week of Daniel would have, in fact, happened if, um, right in line, if, in fact, they would have received him. And Jesus would have returned sooner. But, but there's a, they wouldn't have been able to, t to accept their call. I can't guarantee that, but I'm just, I know that the, the fact that they rejected him. Now, Jesus then says, okay, so what's going to happen? The abomination, desolation is going to take place, and all these things are going to take place, and then the end's going to come. But he says, now in context of that, when you see the fig tree blooming, now you're seeing it, it, it's starting to bloom. Know that the time is near, and this generation shall not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So has the fig tree started blooming? Well, absolutely. For, you know, for nearly 2,000 years, Jews were scattered all over the world. All over the world. And... Then they came together, and on the, in May of um, 1948, they became a nation. They became a nation. And let me, let me read to you. You'll have to jump there um, for me on this one. Let me read to you. Um, Amos 9-11, saying, why are you reading this? In, in synagogues today, every Sabbath, there is a Bible reading. Not just today, it's been going on for centuries. Right? So they stand up and they have a Bible reading and it's a set reading. Every week. When Jesus was, was in the, the synagogue, at, when his ministry started, he read the the. The verse from Isaiah 61, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That was the reading for the day. He has anointed me. That one. That was the reading. The reading for May 15th, 1948, when Israel became a nation. This was the Bible reading. Amos 9. I'm just going to read verse, a few of the verses out of it. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages, I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Verse 14. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities, inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They, sh they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and, get this, 
and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. No longer, I'm going to bring them back to the land. That was the reading that morning in the synagogue. The, the, the reading of what God was doing. And he had made a promise. And the promise was coming to pass. He brought him back into the land as he promised after 2,000 years. And then he says to him, you're not going to leave this land. This land is not going anywhere. And because I'm running out of time real fast, um, I want to just kind of bring us up to date on a couple of things. This last, last week, actually two weeks ago, when, when the... Um, when, when the barrage of missiles were coming into Israel, when, when all that started, it was a significant starting time. Something that most people probably missed at that time. And it, it actually goes back um, quite a few years to the story of, uh, of Benjamin Netanyahu, who was the who was the prime minister of um, of Israel, and if you've known uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been the prime minister. I don't even know how many how many terms now, but he's been prime minister longer than any other prime minister in in Israel's history. And something happened very uniquely about him. There was um he, the first time. He was prime minister. Um, he was, um, there was a, um, an African minister named Robert Yuri, who um, Ray Bentley tells this story. He, um, he, he had a prophetic word that he was supposed to talk to the prime minister, which, <laughs> yeah, right, how do you get into the, and and so he says, Lord, I, how can I talk to the prime minister? You can't, can't just call him up, you know. Hey, how's, you know, how's it going, Ben? I, uh, I'd like to sit, talk to you. So, but God had told him where to go. He's in the United States at the time. And uh, he ended up uh, at, a, uh, at a, uh, a banquet. God had told him to go to the banquet that was next to the banquet he was at. He goes in there and, ben, and, uh, and prime min the prime minister is in that banquet. He asked for a meeting, and they, and they allowed him one minute. He got one minute. And he goes into the, the meeting, and he says, the Lord has told me that you will be, your, your reign of prime minister um, will be secure as long as you don't give up land for peace. Don't give up any land in Israel. He ends up, you know, the prime minister, see, he, he gets all these words all the time. So it's kind of okay. And he, he really ignores it. And, and President Clinton at the time pressured uh, Israel to give up land, you know, to, to, to make peace with Palestinians. And so land was given. And he gave land. And he lost his, he lost his, his uh, seat. He lost his, uh, his prime ministership as, as the leader of that nation. Well... As he's, as he's now not prime minister, the Lord speaks to the same man and says, I want you to talk to him. I want you to tell him a word I have for him. Situation came around. He gets to get to talk to the prime minister again. This time, Ray Bentley is with, with him as he shares it with him. And he says, the Lord has removed you from leadership, but God is going to put you back into leadership. You are going to be prime minister again. He said this, but you are not to give up land as your prime minister. You give up land, you lose your, your, you lose your, your authority. Now, this time I think uh, Netanyahu listened. Um, and, uh, and he did. He, but by the way, he said this to him. He said, you're not to give up land because God is putting you in there for the purpose, and this is the word to use, for the restoration of the temple of David. Or the, uh, the, the tabernacle, actually use the word, ta the tabernacle of David. Okay? So, 
Netanyahu goes in the back. He says, wait a minute. Comes back out with a, uh, a map picture. And the picture was of the temple built on the temple mount. He had that. He, he now, that was in his heart. So he became prime minister again. As he had been promised. And he has remained prime minister. When there has been a, he has not been able to get a coalition to solidify this term, a term as prime minister. And I don't know how all that parliamentary stuff works, but I know he's, try, he's tried and he's not been able to. But there have been two other groups that have decided, the leaders decided they, they, they would become a coalition and they could remove him from power. The day before they had agreed to kind of sign this thing about them agreeing to, to, for them to take over power and, and Netanyahu would not be prime minister again. The day before is when the rockets started shooting. And the day after that, one of the guys, a conservative party, it's really interesting because it's a conservative and a liberal and the conservative says uh, they agreed that he'll do two years and then the liberal will do two and a half years as prime minister. They'll swap. They made that agreement. The conservative, because of the rocket shooting, bailed out. He says, I can't do that now. Now, there has been talk about them actually making an agreement now. And I don't know where that's going. I don't know where that's going. But I know the Lord had put Netanyahu in that place for the purpose of moving things forward. And I'm not sure if he's hindered that. Because there's some decisions that he has made that I'm not sure he's followed all the way through with that. And so it might be that God will have to remove them. Listen, God has intended for the purpose, there is going to be the restoration of the temple on the temple mount. And, and there's going to be sacrifice eventually made. Now, there has to be some, a lot of things going wrong for that to happen. There's got to be some real, um, but right now there's all kinds of pressure to make that happen. But listen to this, because some of you, this is what you're going to hear. There's a whole group of people, Bible teachers, and hopefully they're not giving any dates. But they're saying this. They're saying the tribulation, the, the, the Smita year which will be the last, the seventh year, is going to start in September. Because the Smita year always starts on Rosh Hashanah. It starts in the Feast of Trumpets. And so it's going to start, and some say that it will go until, you know, for seven years, until 2028. I'm not giving, I'm not giving that date. In fact, I don't actually believe that date. I'm just telling you that there are people anxious and believing that we're that close to the, the tribulation. I can tell you this, because my first thought is, wait a minute, there's not even a temple built. And that's going to take a while. You can't just throw up a temple. But I actually knew this, that it's not really the temple that has to be built first. Remember what the, prophet, what the, the preacher told Netanyahu was, the tabernacle of David will be restored. And if you remember the, the verse I read in Amos 9.11, it said, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David. And if you go to Acts chapter 15 and verse 15, um, you'll find it says, and this is the word of the, the prophets agree just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now, the tabernacle of David is more than the tent, but it is the tent, too. It's more than the tent. It's a tabernacle because that's the tabernacle of Moses, too. So, but, but remember, it wasn't David who built the temple. David's son built the temple, Solomon. So, is, in fact, or could it be that the tabernacle, if the articles of the temple are found, the tabernacle, the tabernacle um, is what's found. It would take about three days to, to put up the tabernacle. 
if they have the articles and they had everything that they need. And uh, if you want to do an interesting read, read about the, um, the Copper Scroll. And um, there's a, a great book out right now that, um, that gives really some interesting ideas about um, the Copper Scroll, which was found in Israel. It was, uh, with, uh, it, was, it was found in one of the caves of Qumran. Uh, and, uh, and, and actually, there's, there's two scrolls. And they were hidden behind a wall. So it was very important that it was hidden. They found it. And it gives information about some, some caves in Israel where the articles of the temple were hidden. And uh, it almost sounds like a movie, you know, kind of a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing. But it's actually real. It dates back to the first century. It dates back to, um, uh, to uh, and, and it goes along with all the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was found in one of the caves of the Dead Sea Scrolls. All of that. So whether it's true or not isn't the issue. The, the issue is that if they find the, the articles, and I believe they actually know where they are now, they don't want to start a war. Because if the, if the, if the, if the Ark of the Covenant is discovered by Israel and they take it, the Muslim world will have to fight for it. So how that works out, all this can happen very quickly. I didn't get through half my notes. I'll get through the rest of them on Wednesday night. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's, uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let's stand together. If anything you get out of this, I hope it's this. Things are moving. And people are getting ready. And we should be. I think, I think we're in a season like no other. And we got, we're looking around and we've just seen what happened to us in this nation in a, this last year. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country. What it has done to our country, the damage it's done, the fear, the anxiety, I believe we're, we're ripe for revival. But I also believe that it's, th- this is also a warning from the Lord. I believe we as a nation are facing some very challenging times ahead of us. And, and only if God sees our repentance can we be, in fact, saved from the kind of thing that I think the natural order of things will go in our nation. I have faith in the Lord. I'm trusting for him. But I'm hoping and praying that the church will wake up and start to begin to press in for revival in our nation because I believe revival is the only thing that is going to save us as a nation. There's one thing that I believe has kept us from going over the edge fully because our sin is before us. We have murdered 70 million unborn children. That sin is... is is a black cloud over America. The other one is what has rescued us is our support for Israel, which has, has waned at different points. Our president right now made a good statement, but then gave tons of money to the very people who are attacking Israel. And along the line, I'm making a prediction our president's going to force, are going to pressure, is going to pressure Israel to give land back for peace. I'm just making that prediction. And when we do that as a nation, I think we've lost a, a tremendous amount of grace that would come to us because God will not allow that to happen. And the president that does that will suffer the consequences as well. Well, Father, your word is true, and we lift our hearts to you. Because, Lord, in all of this, there's one safe place. Oh, it's in the cleft of the rock. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. We hide in you, oh God. We hide in you. Be blessed, oh Lord, as we worship you.
God doesn't fail, folks. He really doesn't. And I, I believe God wants to give you an excitement about his, his return. I, I believe that Jesus wants you to know how blessed you are. How blessed you are to know him and to, to anticipate the greatest day of your life and the future, which is more than you can imagine. I, I think sometimes as we look ahead as Christians, we see challenges ahead. And if we, if we really believe that the Lord is coming back soon, there's some young people going, wait a minute, I haven't gotten married. I don't have any children yet. You know, I've got all these other things. If Jesus comes back, am I going to miss out? No. No, you're not going to miss out at all. Not at all. Your future is brighter and better than your imagination can take you. So you're going to have to trust that. It's better. But I do want to, to say, we're not just stopping everything and looking toward the future. We're living our life and we're to live our life in the fruitfulness and blessing of God. And uh, next week, we're going to start our series in the book of Joshua. And we're going to take a look at how to get into promised land and how to take the promises of God to live, live joyful, victorious lives ourselves. It's going to be a wonderful time as we, we go through that. So I want to encourage you to come in expectation next week. I also want to encourage you on Wednesday night, we're going to finish this. And so many of you want to show up either online or be here this next, uh, next Wednesday and uh, be with us. Will you have a great day? Have a great week. The Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you all.